Well, as I uh, opened up Jonah and began to look over the book as a whole, and specifically chapter one here, I was, I was just really blown away by how rich and how deep this very, very small book actually is. As I was looking at how I would preach chapter one, I came to realize that I could probably preach it 10 different ways and, and get 10 sermons out of it because it's that rich. Uh, there's many great themes that run through the book of Jonah. And what we're seeking to do in this mini-series is not trace one theme through the whole book, but rather to expose you guys to multiple uh, themes that run through the book. If you're familiar with Jonah, it is a book about Jonah's disobedience. This is a theme that runs through the book, his disobedience. It is also a book about a rebel son's repentance and unbeliever's repentance as well. It is a book about God's great mercy and the sovereignty of His Word. The compassion that He shows on His people and on unbelievers as well. And when His Word goes out, it will accomplish what He sent it out to do. But it is also a book about overflowing grace. The overflowing grace that God extends to a rebel son and to unbelieving sinners. And this last theme of the overflowing grace of God is the one that I want to explore with you guys here this morning as we open up Jonah chapter 1. There's three primary characters in this first chapter of Jonah. Uh, The first is Jonah himself, and he is the rebel son as we will come to see. And then there are the unbelieving sinners who are the Gentile sailors who he gets in a boat with. And then, of course, there is God, who is the one who extends this overflowing grace to both of them. And so we'll see as the story unfolds here in chapter 1, the interplay between these characters in the narrative. And what we're going to see is God's overflowing grace extend to his rebel son and unbelieving sinners. And hopefully, by the end of the message this morning, you will have the ability to receive this grace for yourself as well, to taste it and to allow it to change your life. Uh, If you'll take out your bulletin insert, I've kind of divided the text up for us so that it's understandable. Um, These aren't my theological points that I'm drawing out of the text. This is, I've arranged it this way so you know how the narrative flows to help you make sense of the direction of the story itself. So the first thing we'll look at is Jonah's disobedience uh, to the command of the Lord and then the disaster that the Lord brings on Jonah and the sailors because of his disobedience. And then we'll see the despair that the sailors are brought to because of this disaster. And then there'll be a discussion that begins between the sailors and Jonah and the decision that the sailors will make to ultimately throw Jonah out of the boat. And then we'll see both the deliverance of the sailors and of Jonah himself. So if you're not there yet, uh, open up to Jonah chapter 1. I want the Word of God to speak to us this morning. I'm going to read the entirety of the chapter for us here. Allow God to speak to you as I read through it. And then we'll pray for the Spirit's help and we'll continue. Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, 
Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea that the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Father, thank You for Your Word to Your people this morning. I pray, Lord, that You would send Your Spirit here to make our hearts soft to receive Your grace this morning, to respond to it, to be changed and transformed by it. pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as the story begins, God gives a call to Jonah what he should do, and then we see the disobedience of the call of the Lord by Jonah himself. So in verse 1, he, he calls Jonah and tells him, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. 
Preach against it, for their evil has come up before me. The Lord has taken notice of the evil of Nineveh, and he's calling Jonah to go and preach against them. Uh, now, the, the, the scripture here doesn't specifically say what type of evil uh, the Ninevites were uh, you know, participating in that the Lord took notice of, but one of the things we know from history about the Ninevites, and even in the scriptures as well, is that at this time, which was the late 8th century, uh, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And they were growing in power, and they were an enemy to the nation of Israel. And at this time, they were an overtly pagan country. Um, not only did they have a reputation for their gruesome treatment of their enemies, but they also boasted in the cruelty that they showed to them. And to put this in perspective without going into detail, because I'm sure the details of what they did to their enemies would turn your stomachs this morning, as I read and studied about Assyria, the things that they did to their enemies would put ISIS to shame. This is how gruesome and cruel of a treatment they would do upon their enemies. So we have some type of an idea of what this evil was that came up before the Lord. And so we can kind of understand a little bit why Jonah would flee, right? And the text actually goes on to tell us at the end of the book in, in Jonah chapter 4 that Jonah didn't want the people of Nineveh to repent and he knew that if he went and preached to them, that they would repent. We'll get to that in a couple weeks. But there's a certain sense in which we can kind of understand why Jonah wouldn't want to go and preach to them. Because it was probably a threat to his own life to even go there as an Israelite, as an enemy of them. But also because of their blatant wickedness. Now this would cause us naturally to sympathize with Jonah in some senses, but the text doesn't sympathize with Jonah at all. As we move into verse 3 where we see his disobedience from the Lord, the text in no way seeks to exonerate Jonah from disobeying the command of the Lord. Rather, it emphasizes the complete wrongness of his disobedience. And it does this in three different ways. Uh, verse 3 uses a lot of repetition to help us understand the severity of Jonah's disobedience. Uh, the first thing that we see is the destination to which Jonah was fleeing. Tarshish is repeated three times in verse 3. And if we know the biblical geography, Israel was here kind of on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And Assyria, capital city Nineveh, was uh, to the north. And Tarshish was a boat trip all the way across the Mediterranean Sea over here, nearly the farthest point away in the known world. And so we see that as the text repeats, he was fleeing to Tarshish. He kept, it, the, it repeats it and repeats it three times. It's showing us the degree, the degree to which Jonah was fleeing away from God, literally as far away as he could possibly be going the opposite direction of the way that God had called him. But not only do we see the destination that Jonah is fleeing to, we also see the direction that he was fleeing. Two times the text says that he went down. 
First, it says that he went down to Joppa, which was south of Israel, to board the ship. And then once he boarded the ship, he went down into the ship, to the lower quarters of the ship. Now, this is significant because the Bible uses this uh, visual image of going down. It's often associated with disobedience that leads to death. The Bible often talks about going down, going down into the earth, going down into Sheol. It's a way of describing death. And here it's describing again the degree to which Jonah was trying to flee. So we see the destination and the direction he was fleeing. But most importantly, the text shows us what he was fleeing from. Two times in verse 3, it says that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And what this tells us is where Jonah's heart was in relation to God. He wasn't just fleeing the command of God. He wasn't just disobeying that. He was seeking to flee from the presence of the Lord. Where else have we seen this language before? Well, if we flip back to Genesis, what did Adam and Eve do? They hid themselves among the trees away from the presence of the Lord. They were hiding themselves from His presence. So too was Jonah fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Now there's an inherent danger here as we read this and really the book of Jonah as a whole. The danger is that we read Jonah without a humble heart. The danger is to read this book and to stand in condemnation over Jonah. You know, we begin to think things and have emotions in our hearts rise up as we read this story. Man, and we say things like, Jonah was so cold-hearted. He didn't even want Nineveh to repent. He was really messed up. I would never do something like he did. But have we all not acted in the same way that Jonah has? Have we all not disobeyed him? the word of the Lord to us, and sought to flee from His presence? You see, when we vilify Jonah, we only condemn ourselves and we miss the purpose of the book of Jonah. I'm convinced that the book of Jonah is to be read in the same way that we would gaze into a mirror. We're meant to see ourselves in Jonah. We're not, to, we're not meant to see ourselves as more righteous and better than Jonah. We're meant to see ourselves in Him and therefore to evaluate our relationship with God. I believe that there are sons and daughters of God here this morning who are disobeying and running from His presence. If that's you this morning, I want you to pay very close attention to Jonah. As the story goes on, I will speak a message to you. So Jonah boards the ship, and then we see the Lord's response to his disobedience in verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. 
So in response to Jonah's disobedience, the Lord sends a gracious storm. A gracious storm. Now why is it right to see this storm as a display of God's grace to Jonah? The storm is gracious because it tells us that God is going to pursue His erring Son. He's not just going to let Him flee from His presence. He is going to pursue Him. You see, for Jonah, the storm functions as God's discipline of him for his disobedience, which will ultimately bring him to repentance. It's a display of God's disappointment, His anger, His wrath against Jonah. But as we will see shortly, the storm also functions as the means of salvation for the unbelieving sailors. And to this we turn to verse 5 where we get introduced to these sailors and how they react to the storm. Verse 5, after uh, the Lord stirred up the waters and the wind, it says, Then the mariners or the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So these sailors are very religious men. When this storm comes upon them, they go and they seek their gods. This is, they're not seeking Yahweh, the God of Israel. They're seeking their own gods. These are Gentiles who have a whole slew of their own gods. They're seeking their gods to deliver them from the storm. And of course, these gods are just man-made idols that they worship. They don't deliver these men and they don't answer. And so then they take matters into their own hands. All right, let's start throwing the cargo out of the ship to lighten the load so the boat won't sink. I believe that there are also people here who do not believe in the one true God. And, and you know that if you're here and you're not a believer. You, you realize that. I want to speak to you for a moment. Do you see yourself in these sailors? Do you feel the wrath of God upon your shoulders as these sailors felt the winds and waves of the sea upon them? Do you feel the pressure of His displeasure in you pressing down on your shoulders? And do you seek deliverance from His wrath by running to everything besides God? Do you seek to cope with that feeling of displeasure from God by running to the pleasures of the world to cope with it? Do you take matters into your own hands and strive to uh, live a morally good life so as to please God? To get rid of that feeling that He's displeased with you? If you're an unbeliever here this morning, I want you to pay very close attention to the sailors. As the story unfolds, they will speak to you. So the storm not only shows us the despair that the unbelieving sailors were in, but it also shows us the callousness of Jonah's heart. 
The text continues in verse uh, 5, the latter half of verse 5. I'm going to read the whole verse just to give you the understanding here. So then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. When you read this, this is almost comical. Picture this. These unbelieving sailors are on the top deck of this ship and quite literally all hell is breaking loose up there. They're in this crazy storm and they're bowing down, crying out to their gods. They're throwing everything off the boat. And then you go down one level and Jonah is fast asleep. This is ridiculous. The text here is seeking to show us the callousness of Jonah's heart by contrasting the unbelieving sailor's response to the storm to Jonah's response. You see, what God wanted to happen was for what the sailors produced and them crying out to their gods. That's what it should have produced in Jonah. It should have produced a seeking after God. But instead, we see that Jonah is completely unresponsive, indeed unconscious, to the discipline of the Lord upon him, which was the storm. While we see the unbelievers are crying out to their gods, Jonah is asleep in the boat, unresponsive to God's discipline of him. And this is further accentuated as we read verse 6. The captain goes down into the lower deck, no doubt to grab more cargo to throw out. And he finds Jonah sleeping down there. And he's just completely flabbergasted. He's like, he's like, what in the world are you doing? Do you not understand what's going on here? Get up, arise, call out to your God. Perhaps he will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And we continue to see the hardness of Jonah's heart in that he does not respond. He doesn't bow down and call out to God. At least the text makes no mention of it. So having awakened Jonah, the captain and he go up to the ship deck where a discussion begins between the sailors and Jonah. And the pieces of the puzzle are starting to come together for the sailors. So they go up to the ship deck and the sailors start to talk amongst each other. They said to one another, verse 7, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast the lot and it rightly falls to who is to blame. It falls on Jonah. And so we see the lens of the story beginning to shift to the cause of the problem that they are in. The shift rightly moves to Jonah. And so now the sailors are very interested to know who Jonah is so as to make sense of why they are in this mess. So they begin to ask him questions, rapid fire. And they said to him, verse 8, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? 
Now, the sailors, we understand, are religious men. We saw that just moments ago. They were crying out to their gods to deliver them. And they understood that this storm was the result of divine displeasure. It's why they were crying out to their gods. And we have to understand the religious nature of the questions that they're asking Jonah. I mean, this is a very tense situation. They're in the middle of a storm that is threatening their lives. They're not just asking Jonah very casually, hey, where are you from, man? They want to get to the bottom of what caused this storm. And they do so by asking Jonah, where do you come from? In order to find out what God he followed. Because that would give them greater insight into how to solve the question of getting rid of this storm. They were trying to determine what God he worshipped. So Jonah now turns and answers the sailors and we see their response. In verse 9 he says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And here we see the beginning of Jonah's repentance from his sin, from his disobedience. And we see this actually as the text continues on. Not only did he acknowledge that he was a follower of the living God, but he also comes clean about his disobedience to him. At the end of verse 10, after the response of the sailors, it says, they were greatly afraid for the, for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So he owns up to his sin, the beginnings of his repentance. And this produces exceeding fear in the sailors. They said, what is this that you have done? What was the cause of the sailors' fear in this moment? Well, they were exceedingly afraid because they knew that the living God who made the sea and the dry land was also in control of the sea in this very moment. They were experiencing the living God through this storm. And they were greatly afraid because they knew it was a result of his displeasure, of his anger, of his wrath. And so naturally, the sailors begin to seek a solution to this problem. As I said, the pieces of the puzzle are coming together. They know who's at fault. It's Jonah. And they know who Jonah's God is now. Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. And so they ask him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? So they're seeking a solution to the problem that they find themselves in. But yet again, we must understand the religious nature of their question. This is more than them simply seeking a solution to the problem of the storm. Ultimately, they are asking, what, what, what must we do in order to appease your God? Because we know that that's the only way this storm is going to stop. If it's a result of his divine displeasure, he must be appeased for the storm to cease. And so this is what they're ultimately asking. What must we do to appease your God? 
Well, Jonah gives the answer. He says, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Now Jonah reveals to us here a most amazing truth. That the only thing that would appease God's wrath was a sacrifice. A human sacrifice. And we know this because they weren't five feet off the shore. For them to throw Jonah into the water would mean certain death for him. Now, although this is not a one-for-one comparison, do we not see shadows of the cross here? Do we not see the glory of the gospel which tells us that God's wrath will only be appeased through a human sacrifice? Indeed, his very own son's life? The only way that these sailors are going to be delivered from the expression of God's wrath, which is this storm, is if Jonah is sacrificed for them. And we understand that this is the same way that God appeases his wrath towards his people. He sacrifices his own son for us. Indeed, we see here shadows of the cross and of the gospel. The men were unwilling to accept this answer. Uh, the, the, The text goes on to say in verse 13 that the men rode hard to get back to dry land. And they did this because it was most likely that they were afraid to harm Jonah. So think think about it from the sailor's position. So Jonah is a follower of the one true and living God who is displaying himself before our very eyes in this storm. And this storm has come upon us because of Jonah's disobedience to his God. If that's his reaction to disobedience, what is he going to do to us if we kill his follower? If we pick him up and throw him into the ocean, what is he going to do to us? It was out of fear that they sought to row back to the shore, which proved to be unproductive because the storm raged on. The repetition of the text here is drawing us to a climax in the story. The sea grew more and more tempestuous, more and more tempestuous. It keeps repeating that. It's getting worse. It's coming to a climax. They're running out of time. They must make a decision. So verse 14, they make their decision. But before casting Jonah out of the boat, very interesting here, don't miss this, no longer do they cry out to their gods, now they cry out to the Lord, Yahweh. They cry out to Jonah's God. They say, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. The sailors are now out of options and so they call on Jonah's God to be gracious and merciful to them and to not hold them accountable for Jonah's life. And they root this in the fact that God is in control of everything that is going on here. 
God was in control and sovereign over the storm and over the solution to the storm. Oh Lord, you have done as it pleased you in bringing this storm upon us and in giving us the solution to it through the word of Jonah. So they plead for grace that God would not destroy them having cast his child into the sea. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. Having made their petition to God, the sailors do what was required. They cast him over. And now having followed the word of Jonah by throwing him into the sea, the sailors find deliverance from the sea. Verse 15. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. The sailors were delivered from the physical threat to their lives. But even more so than this, even more importantly, they were delivered from what the storm signified. They were delivered from the anger and wrath of God. Verse 16, we see this to be the case. Then the, then the men feared, reverenced the Lord, the covenant God of Israel, exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They worshipped the Lord the one true and living God. And here, we see the genuine conversion of the sailors from sinners into sons of God. I want you to see the threefold progression of the sailors' conversion. First, we see the storm, and it, and it came upon them, and they sought refuge in their own gods and in their own schemes, what they could do themselves. In verses 4 and 6, they sought deliverance in idols, which of course gave them no answer. And then in verses 8 through 10, Jonah testifies to the sailors about the one true and living God who caused this storm. They heard of him. Then having done what the Lord required by casting Jonah into the sea, and then the Lord delivering them from the sea, they feared him, they reverenced him, and worshipped the Lord who delivered them from the storm. I.e., they turned away from their idols and began to serve the living God. Unbeliever, where are you at in this threefold progression? Now I have no doubt that you, if you are unbelieving this morning, that you have sought vain things to deliver you from the wrath of God and his displeasure. And now today, as you have heard the word of God preached, God has spoken to you. You have heard the testimony of Jonah and the conversion of the sailors. The word of God has spoken to you this morning. Will you hear him? Will you come to Him? Will you cast away the vain things that you seek to deliver you? And will you trust in the one true living God, having seen Him and heard Him this morning?
You see, just as Jonah was sacrificed for the deliverance of the sailors, so too Jesus was sacrificed that you might be delivered from your sins. If you hear the Spirit calling you, I urge you this morning to come, to repent, to believe. Not only do we see here the deliverance of the sailors, but we see also the deliverance of the rebel son, Jonah himself, in verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So we see the gracious deliverance of the rebel son. The gracious anger of God finally produced in Jonah what he intended it to produce all along, which is namely repentance. And God now extending his grace once again delivers Jonah from the danger of the waters by appointing a fish to come and swallow him alive. Now at first thought, you might be thinking, Being swallowed alive by a giant fish does not sound like deliverance to me. It sounds like death, actually. But you see, what we must realize is that the moment that Jonah was cast into the sea, he was as good as dead. He was a dead man. And so this fish, this gracious fish, that comes and swallows Jonah alive, delivers him from certain death. And you see, what this tells us is that the grace of God towards his rebel sons and daughters, towards his rebel children, is a hounding, pursuing grace. A grace that will not let his children go. I'm going to seek you and I'm going to find you. And you see, if you are a rebel son or daughter here this morning, God is calling out to you through His grace, through the grace manifested in this story, to return to Him, to come back to Him, to repent, to follow Him once more. Will you hear the call of His grace? Will you come once again? God's grace extends to rebel sons and unbelieving sinners. Unbeliever, this chapter in Jonah calls you to cast away your idols And find your refuge in God alone by trusting in Jesus Christ for your salvation. He's calling you to come. Do not turn a deaf ear to him. Rebel sons and daughters, this chapter summons you to see the grace of God's disciplining hand upon you through this story. And to respond to it. To receive His grace once more. To repent. 
to return. Do not harden your heart to the call of the Lord. But we see here too grace for obedient sons and daughters. This chapter should motivate you to cherish the grace of God and to continue to walk and to continue faithfulness to him. This doesn't teach us that, okay, we can go off the deep end and God's always going to come rescue us. If you're an obedient son and daughter this morning and that's what you grab from this, you've already condemned yourself. It teaches us that his grace is rich toward us. And that as we cherish his grace, he will enable us to walk in obedience to him. There's a hymn that I'd like to close with. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. Um, I think that it summarizes uh, the point of this passage. It's entitled, Grace It Is Greater Than All Our Sin. And I want to read the fourth verse, the last verse, and also the chorus as we close. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see His face, will you this moment His grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Whether you are an unbelieving sinner this morning, a rebel son or daughter, or an obedient son or daughter, I pray that you have seen and tasted the grace of God that is greater than all our sin. Pray with me. Father, send your Spirit. Give us hearts that are willing to receive your grace, that are willing to respond, that are willing to repent, that are willing to return. Thank you for the grace that you give us. We are so undeserving of it. Let us go forth from here in praise to the God of overflowing grace. Amen.